0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 21 and Zechariah chapter 9. Revelation, the last book in the Bible, so if you hit the concordance, you've gone too far, go back a little bit. And for Zechariah, if you uh, know where Matthew is, you can go left a couple of books and you will find yourself in Zechariah. But the reason I had you guys ask yourselves what it is that someone wants for Christmas is because, you know, we're five days away from Christmas. And it doesn't matter if you're two years old or if you are 200 years old, you still have some hope of a gift for Christmas. Let me ask you this. Do you guys want something for Christmas that you know there is absolutely no way you're going to get? I mean, people always ask me, hey, what kind of car do you want? Because they see what I drive, and they're like, what kind of car would you want? And I'm like, well, I'm not really a car person because the car I want costs about $2 million, so I'll drive my $200 car until that point. But uh, that's just not something I'm into. But we all have something that we hope for that is completely unrealistic. For me, the the kind of what I thought was a more realistic gift idea for my wife for Christmas was I was watching this show called Raw, and it's about people who make things by hand, which is a dying art. But one of the guys that they went to was Bob Kramer, and this guy is one of only 120 master bladesmiths in the United States of America, and he's the only one who specializes in making kitchen knives. And as I'm watching the show, there's this knife that he makes, the 8-inch chef knife, chef knife, which I want. So you guys can all put that down if you're wondering what to get me. But he, uh, m- most people that make knives, they have steel, and they'll just you know, stamp the blade out of the steel, and then they'll refine the edge. But he actually does everything by hand. He takes meteorite chunks, and he melts them down to get the iron from them to make his steel. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, this might be out of my price range if he's melting meteorites down to form his blade. And then he takes the steel that he makes, and he works it, he heats it up, he pounds it with a hammer, folds it over, pounds it, folds it over, over a hundred times he folds the steel to make it strong. And then, after about a hundred hours of working this knife and creating the edge, he has the finished product which he tested by taking a one-inch braided rope. He holds it up, he suspends it in the air, and he can take the knife and just chop through the rope like that. And he'll take water bottles, it's insane. He has these water bottles, sets them up, just slices right through them, leaving the base still on the ground and the top just completely clean off. Chops through pop cans. He'll take two by fours. He can chop through two by fours with this kitchen knife that he makes. And then after he's done with all that, there's no nicks on the blade. It's so strong that he's able to shave arm hair off of you after doing all of that. And after watching this show, I was like, I need one of those knives. <laughs> I, I cannot be happy again. I, I need one of these knives because when I'm chopping celery in my kitchen looking like an idiot with my knife, I'm just thinking, I need one of these so badly. I don't know why that desire stirred up inside of me, but it did. And so I hop online, and I'm trying to check out and see some knives on his website, and I discover that it's a four-year waiting list. I'm like, okay, it's, you know, good things are worth waiting for. And then I see it's about a $10,000 price tag. I'm not deterred by this, though. I think, well, someone's selling these on eBay, surely. And so I hop on eBay, you can't find any. I'm looking up chef forums, looking in their for sales section. You cannot find these knives. They are impossible to get. But I'm still thinking, and this is, what, this is how sick I am, I'm sitting there after a couple of weeks of trying to figure out how to get one of these knives, and I'm like, maybe God's just going to bless me. Maybe there's going to be some well-to-do chef that retires someday, and he's like, God speaks to him and tells him to give this knife to, to Jeremy and Ann Arbor, who he's never met, and I'm going to get this incredible knife. And that's my hope, and that's, you know, that's, that's just throwing it out there. That's hoping against hope to be able to get one of these knives somehow. And then, after a couple weeks of doing this, and I'm looking at the website one more time in the morning, I'm, I have pictures on my phone of them, and I was like, they're just so beautiful. They're these incredible knives. And I've been looking at it, and then Anna's like, you got to play with your children once in a while. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I go, and I'm playing with Brielle, and I'm thinking about the knife, and she's jumping up and down, and I'm laying on my back on the ground. And she jumps up into the air, and she uh, tucks her legs up and lands directly on my abdomen, with both of her knees. Now that hurts, but when you've had major abdominal surgery six months ago, it really hurts. And I was just like, oh, that did not feel good. And uh, it, the pain went away, and then I was changing my shirts a couple hours later, and I have this big bulge <laughs> at the top of my incision. I'm like, that doesn't look good. I called the surgeon, and they're like, yeah, you got to go to the ER. So I spent seven hours in the ER, and as I'm sitting there the whole time, I'm just thinking, I hope I don't have to have surgery. I hope nothing's wrong. I hope I'm okay. And I'm thinking, why did I spend all this time hoping for a knife? <laughs> I, I can't tell you. For seven hours, while I'm waiting to see the doctor, I'm thinking, I put, why did I think I needed a knife? I just don't want a knife to be used on me now. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking about knives. But I've spent so much time with my heart going out to this thing that I don't really need. But that's the way hope works for us a lot of times. We're all people who have hope in something. It's a part of what makes us human, is there are things that we hope for. But are we hoping for the right things? And so this is the first question I would ask you this morning. What are you hoping for? Is what you're hoping for something that you really need? Is what you're hoping for something that would change your life. Because what happens so many times is we hope for the wrong things, like $10,000 kitchen knives. And it masks what it is that we really need. Sometimes it's a conscious thing we're trying to distract ourselves from the real need that we have in our life. Sometimes it's something that we're not even aware of. But we need to make sure that we as people of hope are putting our hope in the thing that we really need. And then the second question I'm going to ask you is, what are you hoping in? Because the strength of your hope is only as strong as what it is that you are hoping in. Now, for me, the realization of getting a Bob Kramer knife, that's never going to happen. Because my whole hope for is that God's going to speak to some rich chef and tell him to send me a knife. That is not a strong hope. That is something that will not be fulfilled. And so, so many times we're hoping for something, even if it's a right thing, but what we have put our hope in to bring about the fulfillment of this is something that is weak. How many times do you put your hope in yourself and what it is that you're capable of doing? Maybe God speaks to you something that you're supposed to put your hope in, something that you do need in your life, but the strength upon which you put your hope is so weak that it's bound to fail you. And what happens then is that hope turns to disappointment inside of you. So we have to know what it is that we should be hoping for. And we have to know what it is that we need to be hoping in. And that's really the backdrop for the whole story of Christmas. Christmas is the ultimate story of hope. Because Jesus came to give hope to us. He came to be not only the one that, we can, that fulfills the hopes that we have, but he's the one whom we hope in. He's the one who's able to fulfill the hopes that we have. But so many people missed this incredible gift that God sent them when Jesus came to the earth because they didn't know what it was that they should be hoping for and they didn't know who it was that they should be hoping in. Now at the time when Jesus came, Israel was an occupied nation. And many times, what it is that you're hoping for is dependent upon the circumstances in which you find yourself. See, they're being ruled by the Romans, and what they're looking for, what they think that they need, is for someone to come along and to lead a violent revolution to overthrow the occupying force. They think that all of their problems are related to the fact that they aren't free. They think that if they could just get rid of the Roman rulers, that everything would go well for them again. And they're looking for God to send them a savior who's going to overthrow the Romans, who's going to reestablish Israel as a nation that is envied by the world, it's going to restore economic prosperity to them, and who's going to restore the temple as being the center for the worship of God. They're looking for the military hero to come riding in on the white horse, which is why it's so interesting that when Jesus did go to Jerusalem, he came in riding on a donkey. That's why so many people missed it. Everybody was looking for a Messiah who would bring them the things that they didn't need. See, they were looking for their Messiah to be born of a royal family. But Jesus wasn't. He was born to a peasant family in a manger. Instead of leading a violent revolution, he blessed his enemies and he laid his life down for them. Instead of defeating the Romans, he defeated sin and death. Instead of making Israel a great kingdom, he brought his kingdom to earth and invited all people in. Instead of causing them to financially prosper, he caused their souls to prosper. And instead of reestablishing the temple as the center of the worship of God, he sent the Holy Spirit to us to build us into his living temple where he would dwell. See, Jesus didn't come to bring them any of the things that they had wanted because what they wanted wasn't what they needed. So what did Jesus bring? The one thing he brought was the one thing that none of them even knew that they needed. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Why would he come to bring life? He's making a statement when he says, I came to bring you life. Because if he came to bring you life, the only people that benefit from that gift are dead people. In saying that, I think it was a hard thing for people to accept because they didn't realize that they were dead. And not in that cheesy Bruce Willis and his Sixth Sense kind of a thing either. And if you haven't seen that, I'm sorry I ruined it for you, but it's been 20 years, so no more spoiler alerts. See, we were all slaves to sin. We were dead people. We were separated from God. No matter how much we might want to be connected to God, we were unable to be because sin dominated our lives. We were slaves to sin. We could not escape it. It shaped us. It formed us. It held us hostage. We were dead. But he came and he laid down his life, paying the price for our sins, restoring life to us through his death his burial, and his resurrection. And now we're able to freely receive the gift of life that Jesus has to offer us by putting our faith in him to be the one who is our Savior and to be the one who is our Lord that we submit ourselves to. And as we celebrate Christmas, that's what we celebrate. That hope came to us the restoration of everything that we had lost through sin is now being made available to us again. We have the hope that came into the world to restore us to God, to breathe life into us once again. That's the hope that we receive at Christmas. But we also remember that what Advent is, the season that we're in, is it's a time of remembering what it is that God did when Jesus came to the world. But it's also a time of looking forward to what it is that God is going to do when Jesus returns. And this is what it says. This is I love this about God um, that the hope that we have now is incredible. We have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of a restored relationship with God. We have the hope of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. But we also have a future hope for when Jesus returns. And it says this in Revelation 21. This is recording what's happening in heaven. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the hope that we have as Christians, is that Jesus is returning, and when he returns, there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, that God himself will be our God, and we will be his people. He will dwell with us. We will dwell with him that he's going to wipe away every tear, that there will be no more mourning, there will be no more sickness, death will be gone once and for all. Everything is going to be restored. Everything is going to be made new. That's good stuff. That's a strong hope, isn't it? Because those are the things that I need. I don't need a knife. I just need my insides to work right again. And even more than that, even if I'm able to be fully repaired in this body, I'm still going to die someday. And all the hope that we have in the world for the things of this world mean nothing when the eventual resting place for all of us is the grave. Jesus came to restore hope to us so that we would know that we might go through some stuff right here and right now. Jesus went through some stuff. We as his disciples are going to go through some stuff. But the hope that we have is that everything is going to be restored, that everything is going to be made new. There will be no more crying one day. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more mourning. I mean, when I think about those that I've lost, that I love, that's a pain. It's a very real pain. And this can be a very hard time of year for those of us who have lost someone that you love. But the Bible says that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we have the promise that one day we will be reunited with our loved ones who have gone before us. That all the saints, all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. That's the promise that we have. That's the hope that we have. All things will be made new. I love how God spoke to Zechariah, and he addresses this, and really it's a verse about identity. I don't think a lot of times we view it as a verse on identity, but really it speaks to who we are. And this is God prophesying because at this time, Israel's found themselves in a bad place again, and they're wondering, are things ever going to be okay again because we're in such a bad place? In Zechariah chapter 9, God says this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The first thing that he says is you are a prisoner of hope. That might seem like an odd term. Have you ever thought of yourself as a prisoner of hope before? Because usually you think of a prisoner, that's a bad thing. So when you think about what is a prisoner, when you're a prisoner, that shapes your identity. If you ever go into a prison or know someone who's done time, they don't get to make choices for themselves. They're held captive. They're not there because of their will. They are held captive in a prison. They're not allowed to make choices. They're like, hey, I want to have Fruit Loops or Apple Jacks today. It's like, here's what you get to eat today. It's like, hey, I think I'm going to go visit so-and-so. Everything that you get to do is dictated to you, and it changes the way that you think. You don't think like you used to. Now you begin to think as a prisoner within the confines that have been set up for you in which you exist. And the same thing happens for us as people of hope. We're held captive by hope. When you come to the realization of who Jesus is and what it is that the God who nothing is impossible for is able to do in your life and able to do in your situations, when you begin to recognize that through the struggles that we go through here on earth, it's not the end, it's not the final say in what happens, but that Jesus is returning, that we have the promise of eternal life, that all things that are bad in this world are going to pass away and that newness is going to come, that shapes the way that you think. It transforms the way that you think. And you begin to find yourself as a prisoner of hope. So when someone comes to you and they share with you a terrible situation in which they find themselves, you don't think limited to the situation anymore. You begin to think through the lens of the hope that God has given you. We're prisoners of hope. It changes the way we view the world around us. When someone comes to me and they say, hey, can you pray for me? There's this sickness. Can you pray that my marriage is falling apart? Can you pray? Whatever it is, I never look at the situation and say, oh, man, you're done. Like I'm sorry. There's nothing that can happen here. I remember one time one of my grandparents was sick and they were passing away, and I shared that with a pastor and asked him to pray, and he said, well, it kind of sounds like God's already answered that prayer. I was like, "What? Well, thanks. I asked you to pray for my sick grandpa, and you're just telling me that he's going to die. And that ended up happening, but you know what? I'm a prisoner of hope. I don't think through that lens. I'm still going to put my hope in that God can work the miraculous. Regardless of what it is that I see happen, I'm still a prisoner of the hope that I have in Jesus. And thank God my grandpa made a decision to follow Jesus a month before he passed away, and I will be reunited with him for all of eternity in heaven, and he's there united with Jesus right now. But I am always going to pray for hope to come and to be manifest in this world. There have been people who came to me, marriages are falling apart, people that, you know, affairs are going on and all kinds of lies and deceptions. And I don't think, you know what, you guys are headed for divorce, this is the end. I say, let's go to Jesus and let's ask him to do something miraculous here because he's able. When someone comes to me and they're sick and something really bad is going on in their life, I don't think, hey, man, let's make our final preparations. I think, let's go to the throne room of God and let's ask him to bring healing into this situation. Whatever the situation is that you find yourself, you need to remember that you're a prisoner of hope. It needs to shape the way that you view the world around you. It needs to determine the way that you pray, the way that you live, The way that you act. It was even cool this week. I got uh, a a report. There was someone we'd been praying for for a couple months. They had some severe arthritis pain going on. We prayed, nothing happened. Pray again, nothing happened. Some people might quit after that. But I just kept going. And we kept praying and kept praying. And this week he let me know that Jesus had healed him and the pain from the arthritis was gone. Isn't that awesome? Why do we keep praying in the face of what looks like nothing happening? Because we're prisoners of hope. I've prayed for people and they've died. I don't know why some people are healed. I don't know why some people die. I don't know why I've prayed for people and they're healed and I had to go through surgery. My job isn't to know that. I'm just the prisoner of hope. I pray Jesus does what he does. And I'm not in control of what he does. I just choose how it is that I'm going to think. Some of you guys, you're in some bad situations right now. It might be children that are far from the Lord. It might be your marriage is falling apart. It might be sickness inside of your body. It might be financial things that are going on. It might be hopelessness or depression that you're dealing with. There are things that you're going through. But you can't view it as the way that the world views it. You need to remember that God says, you are my prisoner of hope, and that you have the hope that is in Christ Jesus. So you never give up, you never give in, you keep on petitioning me, you keep on seeking me and coming after the throne of heaven. That's your job. That's the way that we're supposed to think. And then number two, he says, return to your stronghold. Now in a battle when things get tough and you're being overwhelmed, what do you do? You turn and you run back to your stronghold where you will be safe and where you will be secure. And this is what God is saying, is that there are times when you're feeling overwhelmed by the situations that you're in. You've been out there and you're fighting that fight, but you're beginning to lose hope. When that happens, you turn and you run to your stronghold. You return to your stronghold. And what is our stronghold? Jesus. Jesus is our stronghold. He is the one that our hope is in. And that's why our hope never disappoints us. See, if your hope is only as strong as what you're hoping in, then you have a strong hope when you hope in Jesus. It sounds crazy thinking that we're putting our hope in that we're going to be raised from the dead. But if our hope was in anyone else, I would say that is crazy. But you know why I have that hope in Jesus? It's because he's already done it. When I want to work on doing electrical wiring in my house and I call someone for help, I'm not going to call someone who's never done electrical wiring before. That's not going to turn out well for me or for anybody else. I'm going to call someone who knows something about electricity and wiring and not frying yourself. When I need help, when I need the hope of eternal life and defeating death, you know who I'm going to go to? The one who's already done it. If Jesus has defeated sin... If he has defeated death, the grave, think about that, he raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father now. What can't he do? We have the God who nothing is impossible for. And he demonstrated that in being raised from the dead. So what is it that he can't do in our situation? Is there anything harder to beat than death? I don't know anybody that's beaten death yet. Billions and billions of people have tried. Nobody's been able to do it yet. One person, Jesus. He's our stronghold. We can put our faith and our trust in him because he's proven himself to be worthy. And then number three, God will restore. The hope that we have isn't that we're going to just live a life that's going to be free of pain and free of suffering. That's not the way that anybody's life has ever gone. It's not the way that Jesus' life was. Jesus himself said, in this world, you're going to have some troubles. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. So many times what happens is, we as Christians, you'll see people that make a decision to follow Jesus, and they're all excited about it, and then they come into some kind of a hardship. They run into something where they look at it and they say, God, how could you have allowed this to happen to me? and they make the worst mistake possible, is in that time of testing and the time of their greatest need, they turn away from the one who has the ability to meet that need. Because they look and they say, Jesus, you failed me somehow because you weren't able to do this or because you allowed this to happen. But that's not the way it works, because even if Jesus were to come and to fully do everything that you wanted him to do, you're still going to die someday. And that's why God says, I'm going to restore to you. I'm going to restore double. We go through pain. We go through suffering. There are things that I can't explain. There are things that I don't understand. All I know is that we live in a fallen and a broken world that's under a curse. But that we have a God who is so good that he was willing to leave the glory of heaven to enter into this fallen and cursed world, to live as one of us, to live amongst us, to humble himself to the point of where he would serve us, to go to the cross, to pay the price for our sins, to restore relationship for us, to invite us into his kingdom, and that the day is coming when he will fully restore for every loss that you've gone through, through every hurt that you've endured. He will be there to comfort you through it, says that he will wipe away every tear, that mourning will be completely gone, that we will live forever dwelling with our Father. And that's better than anything else that we could ever hope for. In 2 Corinthians one ten, it says this, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. We have the hope that we find in Jesus. He came to live amongst us, and now we have salvation through him. He's restored hope to us. And we also have the future hope of his return and what that's going to mean. And we can put our hope and our faith in him because we've already seen what he's done in our lives. When I look at who I was when Jesus came to me, when I look at the things that he's delivered me from, the things that he has taken me into, I'm able to look at all of the loss that I've gone through and still have my hope and faith in him, knowing that he will restore. I'll be quite honest with you, these three years that we've been doing this church have been absolutely the hardest years of my life. I watched my father-in-law pass away. I had to go through my stomach issues and pancreas stuff it was hard I've seen prayers that haven't been answered in the way that I wanted to see them answered we've gone through loss and betrayals and everything else just like everybody else does but my hope has never been deterred because my hope is for the things that I really need I have moments of wanting stupid things but I know what it is that I really need and I know the one who will lead me into all of those things. He delivered me already and he will deliver me again. Would you guys stand with me this morning? And We're going to take a moment just to allow God to speak to us God, we ask that this morning that you would come, that you would know our hearts. Jesus, that you would search us and that you would speak to us. I encourage you. As I ask you this question, what are you hoping for? Think about that. What is that thing that you need God to do in your life? Have you been hoping for things you don't really need? Maybe there's something that you need to put your hope in from God that maybe you've been too scared to trust him for, something you thought was impossible for him. And what are you hoping in? Have you limited your hope to what it is that you're capable of doing, to what others are capable of doing for you? Have you been hoping for luck or circumstance? Or have you had that realization that you can put your hope fully and firmly in Jesus? he is our stronghold and our hope in him is never disappointed I encourage you now just take a moment that thing that you're hoping for just bring that before the Lord tell him what it is that you're hoping for what it is that you need for him to do inside of you And maybe it's in your marriage or something that God needs to do to work some forgiveness, to restore passion, to restore uh, trust, to restore commitment. Or maybe it's for a relationship with a, a parent and a child and there's been some distance or some disconnect and you need God to come and to work restoration inside of that. Maybe it's that you need to be able to Put your hope in Jesus for your salvation. To be able to really believe that he is good, that he does love you, and that you can put your faith and your trust in him, and that you can follow him. Maybe it's there's sickness inside of your body, and you need to put your hope in the fact that Jesus is the one who can heal you. Maybe there's some addiction that you've been dealing with or some sin issue that seems like it just overwhelms you. You're unable to to defeat this on your own. You need to know that God is the one who empowers you and you can put your hope in him for deliverance and for freedom. Maybe you need restoration inside of a broken heart. You haven't even dared to hope that God could do that. But Jesus said this, I've come to mend the broken hearts. And he is able to do that. Oh, Father, we come before you a people who are broken, a people who are in need of your touch. And Jesus, we thank you that you say again and again because of your steadfast and passionate commitment that you have to us that you will never abandon us, you will never forsake us, but you will continue to move in us. You will continue to move amongst us. And Jesus, we pray that right now the hope would rise up inside of us, that we would never be a people who view the world through the eyes of the world. But God, a people filled with your hope, prisoners of hope, a people held captive by your hope, sentenced and judged by hope. And Father, that we would come before you for all of the things that we need, trusting that you are the God who is able, that you are the God who's, who delights in going above and beyond we can even think or imagine to ask for. And Jesus, we pray that hope would be restored in us. God, that hope would be restored inside of our city. And Jesus, that we would see you continue to be elevated and to lifted high in the midst of our culture, Jesus. Jesus, come and do the things that only you can do. We put our faith and our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.